the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Thinking about health care these days? Well, you're not alone. And it seems that getting real information about the state of our medical system is tough to come by. That's why you've come to the right place with Dr. Bill, your radio MD. He's got the answers because he's a doctor. I said he's a doctor and he wants to hear from you right now. 877-969-8600. This is AM860, The Answer. And now, it's time for Dr. Bill, your radio MD. Good morning, everybody. This is Dr. Bill, your radio MD, coming on you, or coming at you on 860 AM. That's AM 860, The Answer. And you can reach me live anywhere in the world. Just go to my website, drbillradiomd.com. That's drbillradiomd.com. Or you can go to the radio station's website, am860theanswer.com. And click Listen Live, and you'll hear me if you have a headset hooked up to your computer or speakers. We are an iHeart station, too, although I don't hear a whole lot about that uh, from the station anymore. I don't know, Bill, has that kind of fallen out of favor? No, we're still there. We're still with iHeart? Okay. Yes, sir. So you can catch me as you ramble around in your automobile on your cell phone. And we also are talk radio, interactive radio. I'm at 877-969-8600, 877-969-8600. I want to hear from you today. Uh, I want to know what you think about the confirmation of Judge Kavanaugh and his swearing in yesterday. I thought that was a great victory for the conservatives in the country. And I was very pleased that the president stuck by him through this. I was a little distressed that even the conservative reporters are saying that Dr. Ford was used by the Democrats, and I think that that's nonsense. I think she was complicit in the whole thing. And there was absolutely no reason for her to send that letter unless she had an agenda. So... I don't think that anybody on the Democratic side, whether they were testifying or instigating or protesting, uh, has anything positive to say about their their side of the coin. I mean, it was just really ridiculous. And, and Chuck Schumer saying that this was one of the saddest days in the Senate's history and the country's going to be turned upside down, Nancy Pelosi, and they're going to impeach Kavanaugh, which, of course, they can't do. You can't impeach the man for something that happened when he was a teenager. So it's just a lot of a lot of hot air and a lot of uh, attempts to further divide us, which is working, by the way. I mean, we're we're getting further and further apart. And I can see that and hear that at the lunch table in the doctor's lounge. So I don't know how we're going to reverse this. 
other than hopefully we'll be able to hang on for a generation and a generation of conservatism. And if we have a whole generation of kids that are raised in the conservative mold, most of them, then I think that we'll have a shot at maintaining the republic without any major conflagrations or civil wars. But you never know. You never know. Well, I guess we're allowed to take a victory lap uh, and to celebrate a little bit. And we say, well, the left wants federal rights and the, the right wants to see less federal rights. So the state's rights versus the federal rights is a lot of what this is about. And as you recall, the Roe versus Wade was actually uh, a fight over whether or not the states had the right to regulate abortion. And the court said no, that there is an inherent right within the Constitution to abortion for women and that the states can't override that inherent right. So every state uh, had to permit abortions to be performed. And a, a lot of this started back in the 50s and 60s, and we've been over this with uh, Dr. Nathanson and the deceptions that were perpetrated in order to uh, uh, push for abortions on demand. And I, th I think that Nathanson did the right thing in turning around and saying that his actions were wrong. And, and he wrote a book outlining how the public was deceived by this movement and the press. And uh, he changed his mind about abortion after ultrasound became available. And he could see the embryo and the fetuses in the uterus and realized that these were living beings. They're not inanimate objects. Now, as you know, I'm not a big religious guy, but I do see the need to respect life. And that doesn't mean that I'm uh, opposed to all abortions in all situations, but I think abortion on demand is not the right thing. And if it does come up and the court says, wait a minute, the states do have the right to regulate this, well, the only thing that's going to be lost is that a number of states will say, well, no, you can't do abortions here, but New York and California, there'll be a few states that will continue to offer this, at least in the short term. And I understand why women and minorities feel that uh, federalism, federal control of civil rights is so important because they suffered so much under states' rights, whether it was slavery or a restriction of women's rights, uh, women's voting, so on and so forth. And, and I understand that, and I think that we have to be very careful that we continue to protect the rights of minorities, of women, of children, of everybody, of men too. Yes, even white men. We all should be treated equally under the law. And I think that that rule of law is what separates us from most of the world. And we think, well, China's going to be a big threat. And I've said this before. I'm not that worried about China. They're just crawling out of uh, their corrupt communist recent past history. Uh, now they're a more open and capitalistic society. And I don't think that it's going to be able to, to, to stop that and to completely eliminate any 
protest or uh, disagreement within the country. And, and I think that eventually the, the Communist Party will evolve into a multi-system party, but it's going to take time. And we have to remember that the Chinese have lived under emperors uh, for 2,500 years. So to them, it's natural. And they tolerate their emperors as long as they're doing well economically and situationally. But, but, and I say but because I'm communicating with a number of people in China over business matters, but we're also having personal conversations, and it's changing. And, you know, you cannot keep out all of the information of the world. Now, the Chinese are a big country like us, and like us, it's difficult to know the whole world when you have a country that is the size of Europe or larger, and has more states than Europe has countries, and we are expected to know our history and our states and our state capitals and our national parks and all of that, and that takes a lot of effort on the part of school kids. So uh, the Chinese are similar. You know, they've got a huge country with a lot of provinces, 1.5, 1.6 billion people, and so their learning curve is just as steep as ours, and they have a lot more history that they have to uh, ingest as they're going through school. So it's going to take time, but we'll get there. I'm not that worried about the Chinese. I do agree that we need to keep our military up to snuff, and uh, I'm going to talk about the trade agreement, which I think is a tremendous uh, pressure point on the Chinese and bargaining chip, and there'll be a number of reasons for that. But uh, let, let me get through the... Judge Kavanaugh's situation first. I think that not only do we have a rule of law, which is important, and uh, interpreting the Constitution within the framework of its intention, to me, is important because it says that there is a law, a legal framework within which we work, and that we all have to abide by that or suffer the consequences, and we need a, a final common pathway to arbitrate disputes over the legalities of our laws, whether or not they're appropriate, whether or not they meet the test under the Constitution, whether or not they're functional. That, that's extremely important. I mean, that's the whole purpose. You know, justice is not about absolutisms, of course. It's about relativisms. And again, there are a lot of laws on the books that nobody endorses uh, or uh, uh, enforces or even knows that are there that have been there for decades, maybe even hundreds of years. So the law is somewhat fluid and plastic and it can be reshaped, but we have to keep it within the framework of the Constitution as we understand it. And that doesn't mean that you say, well, the Constitution says that we can change it any time we want, even though the Bill of Rights says something different. No, we can't. And we need to interpret it within the framework of that. And this is extremely important when it comes to the First and Second Amendments and also to the Fourteenth Amendment. Now, the First Amendment gives us our freedom of speech and press and assembly and uh, religious worship belief. And, of course, the Second Amendment gives us the right to bear arms. And these are two uh, uh, two twins, so to speak. I mean, they're they're not identical, but they came out of the same the same thought process. 
and they're integral to each other. One protects the other. So the First and Second Amendments are extremely important, and the courts need to be very judicious and very uh, careful in, in uh, upsetting either of these amendments in any way. And, of course, the 14th Amendment, which was Lincoln's uh, big uh, 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 hurrah, along with the 13th Amendment, the 13th Amendment freed the slaves, and the 14th Amendment uh, granted civil rights to everybody, and this was reinforced by the Civil Rights Acts of the 1960s. But the 14th Amendment uh, imparts, at least in theory, equal justice to all under the law. And I think that this will be important as we go forward with the abortion debates, because the argument is going to be made that uh, a fetus, an embryo, uh, is a living human being, even though it may be in a very primitive stage of development. All of the necessary genetics are there, and we know that fetuses within the womb have feelings. We know that they react. They suck their thumbs. They swallow, they cry, they stretch, they yawn, they go to sleep, they wake up. I mean, they do all the things that an infant does. And and you can make the argument that an infant uh, for the first few weeks or months really has little awareness of what is going on. Uh, and it's just a transition from uh, a, a fluid world, a liquid world to an air world. Uh, but they're still basically in that same stage. Uh, only they're going from mom's blood providing them oxygen and food to their own lungs and their own GI tract. So it, it's not a big step forward, at least mentally. I mean, there's just not that much difference between uh, a, a third trimester or second trimester baby uh, in the womb and one that's just been born. Not a whole lot there in difference-wise. So I think the argument has to be made that these are living human beings, and under the 14th Amendment, they deserve protection. And this is a good area for the courts, now that it's got a conservative uh, balance uh, to it, that they revisit this or that someone bring this to the court to be revisited. The court can't just pick it up and revisit it. This has to be brought forward uh, by two parties who are legally debating over something like this. So th this is important that we keep in mind the 14th Amendment and that we encourage our conservative justices to apply this equally to unborn as well as born human beings. And th that to me is extremely uh, uh, critical. It's also critical that, that the laws that Congress passes that have met the test that they be enforced, and that if they're not enforced, that the uh, the different branches of government sue for the enforcement of these and take it to the Supreme Court and have the Supreme Court say, look, it was a duly passed law. You got to do it. I mean, you have to enforce your border laws. You have to enforce your trade laws. You have to enforce your immigration laws. These are all important laws that we need to to enforce. And, and uh, without... Without this, without some kind of structure, we really don't have a country. And the left says, well, we don't need borders. We really don't need a country. Yeah, we do. Yeah, we do. 
Let me tell you, we really do, because what we have is very special and very sacred and needs to be defended. And I don't mean sacred in the sense that it's uh, blessed by God, although a lot of people think that it is. I mean, sacred in that it's unique, that it's unique. And I don't know if you guys remember who Lafayette is. He was the young uh, French aristocrat who came over and fought with us in our Revolutionary War. And he has a statue in Lafayette Park, which is right in front of the White House. Uh, interesting guy. He was born into one of the wealthiest families in France and uh, came from a military family, generations uh, of military men in the family. He lost his father uh, when he was two years old. His father was on the front fighting the Germans. And he uh, made the sacrifice to come to the United States. He was wounded in one of the first battles at Brandywine Creek leading troops for General Washington, became a lifelong friend of President Washington's. And he said, even then, that America was the hope for all of the world, that this was the place where true democracy and true human rights and true freedom would blossom over time. He pushed for abolition of slavery within the United States, uh, but even though slavery took a, a while longer to be undone and the effects of it are, are gradually being undone, still he felt that the United States was the great hope of the world, the great hope of the world in bringing about human rights, human freedoms, uh, universal justice, as the French said, uh, liberté, fraternité, equality liberty, brotherhood, or equality, and uh, equal rights under the law. So all these things are extremely important, and our court, our Supreme Court, is where all of this is sewn together, stitched together, and held together. And that's not to say that they should have more power than the other two branches of government, but they should have uh, an outlook that is commensurate with what we, the people, and what the Constitution have envisioned. And, and I got to tell you, um, love Trump, hate him, want to kiss him, want to kill him. I mean, this guy's going out and doing what he said he was going to do. I, I just, I have not seen, and I have been watching presidents since I was a kid. And I remember Eisenhower. Uh, I, I, we debated Kennedy and Johnson and Nixon in school. Uh, we we talked about Ford, and I, I was intimately involved in the in the Carter years. Uh, uh, all the way through, I have never seen a president accomplish as much in such a short period of time. Now, granted, Lyndon Johnson got a lot done. I didn't agree with most of it, but he passed more legislation than anybody in history. But I think that this guy is changing the way the world's going to work. Uh, it, it's incredible, incredible. So we take a little victory lap around uh, on behalf of Judge Kavanaugh, and really this is a victory lap for us. The president speaks for us, but we put him there. Kavanaugh represents our ideals on the court, but it is our doing that got him into that position. And we can't forget that. This is not 
I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm so grateful that we have someone like Trump who is our spokesperson and leading us. And he has had some ideas that most of us have not had uh, that are really stupendous. But let's face it, we're the driving force. We're behind this. This is our movement, and Trump is part of it, and Kavanaugh is part of it. And the Republicans who pushed this through the Senate are part of it. And kudos to Mitch McConnell from my home state. He set out as one of his main tasks to see that we get conservative judges on the bench, and he's doing it. So you go, guy. And we can take that victory lap around with the Senate and the White House and all of us who call ourselves conservatives and be grateful for the leadership that we have. So we'll say a little prayer for them if you believe in prayer. You give it a little go there this morning, okay? You do that. I tell you, the trade agreement has been overshadowed by this whole uh, process of uh, Kavanaugh and getting him onto the Supreme Court. And he was sworn in yesterday evening, by the way. He, Once the confirmation hearings were over and he had been confirmed, uh, my understanding is he went right over to the Supreme Court and was sworn in right away, which I think is tremendous, just tremendous. I mean, I, I can't tell you uh, what a great sense of timing and accomplishment that is. And, and that's a, I think that's a way of saying to the left, you took your best shot, but you didn't bring me down, and here I am. And by the way, the vice president was going to be ushered out one of the side or back doors of the, of the Congress building, and he said, no, let's go out the front, because all the protesters were right there on Constitution Avenue in the mall, yelling and screaming. And he said, no, let's go out. Let's go out. And so he went out and he waved to the crowd and got in his limo and drove away. Uh, you, you know, I mean, it's uh, it's OK. I mean, you don't want to give him the bird, but it's OK to say, you know what? We won. You lost. Let's all be grateful and gracious as we go through this that the Constitution is still in place. The government's still running. There are not fist fights or gunfights yet in the House or the Senate. We may be getting closer, but fortunately, people like Cory Booker run out, and uh, rather than start picking a fight, they run out and, and protest by not being there, which is fine. You know, that's better than picking a fight and grabbing a stick or a chair and start beating your, your uh, colleague over the head. I think the chairs in the Senate are, are pretty much glued down. I don't know about the House. I th Bill, do you know, is, are the ha I think the House is, uh, those are fixed seats too, so they can't bash each other on the head. That would be the smart move. I'm not 100% sure. I'm not 100% sure. If anybody has any info on that, let me know. Last time I was in the Senate, I remember the Senate being a, a, a fixed seat. So I'm at 877-969-8600, 877-969-8600. If anybody wants to comment on Judge Kavanaugh and the whole proceedings, give me a shout. I'm here. 
I'll keep it open on this topic until the break. And then after the break, I want to jump into the, uh, the, the new trade agreement. I mean, this is stupendous. This is stupendous. And you got to stick around for that because it, it, it's already affecting uh, interaction between Canada and the United States. And I had a Canadian patient come in last week, and he was delighted. He said, oh, the, the, the Canadian dollar's going up. Uh, our economy is going to strengthen, uh, and it increased the amount of goods that Canadians can bring back from the United States duty-free. So that's going to help both Canada and the United States because our goods are about uh, two-thirds, one-half to two-thirds the price of, of what it costs in Canada. So this is this is a big, big deal for the Canadians as well as for Americans and Mexicans, and I'll get into that later. But if you want to say something or have any thoughts about the Kavanaugh confirmation, I'd love to hear from you. I'm at 877-969-8600. That's 877-969-8600. Now, I wanted to say this, that uh, the, the, the book that was written back in the 60s or late 60s, early 70s, Our Bodies Ourselves by the Boston Women's Health Consortium, uh, was an attempt to inform women of their rights, their health, their uh, well-being, and their reproductive health as well. Oh, we've got Stephen from Tampa on the line. Stephen, come on, buddy. What's up? Yes, doctor. This is a political and medical question. I'm a physical therapist, and I've felt just... Uh, the trickle-down effect from, from all this, this toxic waste to this political stuff and the attacks on Trump and everything, uh, I don't know if people are realizing this, but I'm seeing it manifest itself in just a, a toxic people, and they're, they're getting sick. You know, when you take out trust, it's all about trust, right, trusting Trump, trusting Kavanaugh, not trusting anybody. I mean, that's, that's the way we're, we're tuned in now. Don't trust anybody. And you can testify to this. When, when you lose the capability to, to, you know, in all these cheating shows and all this, and, and not even trusting your spouse, you're setting yourself up for disease. Wouldn't you agree? Well, certainly uh, stress has uh, been implicated as uh, uh, an additive in a lot of disease processes. It can push up your blood pressure if you're under stress. Uh, there's, so there's no doubt about that. There are some some medical situations that are aggravated by uh, the stress of the of the of the uh, the environment or the political environment or the social environment and now listen I don't trust my wife not that I distrust her to be unfaithful but you know I have to be careful or she'll beat the poop out of me if I don't do what she says so I, I'm a little bit leery of her I got to kind of move around her very very warily and and Edgely, but I think that what we have to remember in any political process is that this is like any marriage. It's like any marriage. It's not going to be perfect, and we're going to have times when we disagree with our our partners, and where we're even separated, or we may even get into a fight. Uh, but ultimately, acceptance is a lot of how we get through all of this, and. When Obama was elected, people called me and they were in tears. And what are we going to do? And the republic will be destroyed. No, it won't. We'll survive Obama. And the left will survive us. 
so I think that the important thing here is that we maintain our ideals, that we remember who we are and what we are, that we remember why we are here, and that we really are the, the last best hope for mankind, and, and, and that we continue to push for our conservative views. So I, I, I think that people need to take a chill pill. I agree with you. Uh, go take a walk, run, ride your bicycle, go swimming, shoot some pool, play some cards, distract yourself. It's it's just not worth getting sick over all of this, because if you don't have your health, as you know, Steve, you don't have anything. Well, you know, uh, on that note, the people that I see that are utilizing the Internet and so forth to take better care of themselves, they're taking more responsibility for themselves. Uh, A lot of I've been doing this for 24 years. It used to be the day where people just ate, drank, lived wherever they wanted, and they thought there was going to be a, a, a magic bullet for them. But I am seeing more people now uh, taking responsibility for their health. It sounds ridiculous, right? Finally taking responsibility for your own health. Understanding, you know, where your spleen is located, <laughs> where your liver, that you even have one, you know. But uh, well, I do. That, I, didn't know I, I didn't know I had a liver. I mean, you know, when you talk about, <laughs> unfortunately, when pancreatitis, uh, pancreatic cancer is the only, because of several celebrities having it, it's the only time people ever looked it up, you know, but it's amazing the lack of knowledge, and that's what I would, would say to anybody listening to please go to doctors like yourself who are willing to sit down and talk with you about yourself, about your health, about what's going on inside that skin. And, and yes, less than, the, less than the outside, because if you're not here, it don't matter. <laughs> when you're lying up in that hospital bed, you're not going to care less about Kavanaugh, Trump, or anybody else. You're going to want to find right. out how you can kick that liver back on, you know. That's right. So, you know, stay healthy. And, and remember that uh, uh, you don't have to be a millionaire or a billionaire to be happy. Uh, but you do have to feel good about yourself. You have to have health and you have to have uh, people who love you and people that you love and dogs or cats or whatever it is that brings joy to your life. Uh, Get out and be active. Um, Keep your weight down, as I've always preached, and uh, just be a good guy. Doctor, you mentioned something about animals. In 25 years, I've one thing has come to light over and over and over, and I go to a lot of people's homes. The people that have a connection with a dog or a cat, and in one case, a lady with, with her guinea pigs, they are way, way, way at the top, top of the charts. They are so much better off. So you mentioned a great medicine yep. there that's from God. Get a, get a pet. Listen, we're going to go to break here, folks, and I'll Thank be you, right Doctor. back. Steve, thanks for calling, buddy. We'll catch you later. I'm Dr. Bill. Hang in there. I'm going to go grab a cup of Joe, and then we'll talk about that new trade agreement. With SRN News, I'm Michael Harrington in Washington. Supreme Court justices made a show of solidarity last night as Brett Kavanaugh was sworn in as the newest member of their club. Kavanaugh sworn in by Chief Justice John Roberts, and the man he's replacing, retired Justice Anthony Kennedy, was there too. 
And it's where fellow Justices Samuel Alito, Clarence Thomas, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and Elena Kagan, two conservatives and two liberals. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo says he and North Korean leader Kim Jong-un have made progress toward a deal for the North to give up its nukes. There's no immediate indication, however, whether Pompeo has managed to arrange a much-anticipated second summit between Kim and President Trump. Pompeo was in North Korea for several hours this morning, says he had a good trip. And Brazilians are at the polls today choosing their leaders in an election marked by intense anger at the ruling class after corruption scandals. This is SRN News. Dr. Bill for Bay Area Medical, located at 6399 38th Avenue North in St. Pete, 727-384-6411, 727-384-6411. Full service clinic with x-ray, heart imaging, ultrasound, stress testing, and minor surgery. We provide quality health care in a warm and friendly atmosphere. We are multilingual, well-trained, and certified. Most American insurance and new patients accepted. Bay Area Medical, home of can care, 727-384-6411. 727-384-6411. Hello, this is Dr. Bill Handelman for our good friends at Tampa Bay Imaging. TBI provides state-of-the-art MRI and CT scanning with the lowest radiation possible. Most insurance plans accepted and self-pay rates are very competitive. TBI is conveniently located in Tampa and St. Pete with evening and weekend appointments. So call TBI today or ask your doctor. In Tampa, call 813-386-3674. St. Pete, call 727-545-9674. For most of us, it's hard to even look at. We've all seen images of a hungry child. She can barely move because that hunger has left her exhausted, lifeless. There's a name for this. It's severe acute malnutrition. Save the Children works in poor areas and cares for the child you're thinking of right now. But they can't do it without you. Your $60 gift to Save the Children can provide the emergency nutrition needed to bring a child back from the verge of death. Will you give the gift of life to a child today? Even a little that you can give will make a huge difference. Please call now, 888-884-4836, 888-884-4836. That's 888-884-4836. Or give online at savechildrentoday.org. That's savechildrentoday.org. I'm Hugh Hewitt. This week in the Town Hall Review, brought to you in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy and ADF, the Alliance Defending Freedom. The past week witnessed one of the darkest and most unseemly demonstrations of partisan politics in our nation's history. Darker than McCarthyism. Join us for our program. Visit our website at townhallreview.com. Sundays at noon on AM860, The Answer. your exclusive AccuWeather forecast. Today is partly sunny and warm with a thunderstorm on the prowl in the afternoon with a high 92. And tonight, partly cloudy, warm, and humid with a low of 75. Tomorrow, intervals of clouds and sun with a shower or thunderstorm around. We're warm with a high of 90. And that's your AccuWeather forecast. I'm Alex Mack for AM860, The Answer. A celebration. 
this is Dr. Bill, and talk about warm, baby. I'm hot. I mean, I am hot today. I'm feeling it. I'm feeling the heat. Celebrating. Yes, sir. No problem with that. Nothing wrong with that. Hey, I got to tell you, I want to know where in the world does this president get his energy? I mean, the guy's older than me, and he doesn't stop. I mean, he's going all day and all night. He must be a catnapper. That's all I can figure out. But we talked about uh, uh, the Supreme Court nomination, and that's over. So let's talk about the really super-duper immediate big deal that happened this past week, and that is the renegotiated trade agreement between Canada, the United States, and Mexico. Let me give you a little background on this. The NAFTA was passed in the 1990s, and it brought out every president, Democratic and Republican, who could hobble up to the stage and push for the free trade agreement. And at the time, it sounded like a great thing. It was a way to open up the markets between the three countries more and to uh, hopefully help the Mexicans raise their standard of living. And I think it probably did help somewhat. But Trump had said from early on in his campaign that the uh, NAFTA agreement was a losing situation for the United States. And of course, he he framed it in terms of of our country, but it, it was really a losing proposition for all three countries. Only he couldn't really say that, uh, and I'll explain how and why that is. And, and we'll look at the three economies. Now, first of all, we remain the uh, largest economy in the world. We are still at the top of the list, and we are ahead of China by uh, a few trillion dollars. So we're, we're almost 20 trillion and they're at about 17 trillion dollars for their uh, gross domestic product. Uh, I want you to remember that we're about 330 million people and they're about 1.5, 1.6 billion, billion people. So we're a fourth or a fifth their size in population and we still outproduce. We still outproduce. We still outsell. We still outmarket. We still outdo them in, in so many ways. And and that's not uh, that's not to rub their nose in it. That's just to say that we're still the big boy. We're still the big player. And that not only has uh, benefits and privileges, but it also has responsibilities. Now, the number 10 economy in the world is Mexico, believe it or not. Mexico is number 10. And Canada, I believe, is number 15. So we've got, no, I think, I'm sorry, Canada is uh, number 10, and Mexico is number 15. My bad. Okay, so Canada, the little pipsqueak of a country with 35, 36 million people, is number 10 in economic size. Uh, the economic engine of Canada is just tremendous. And if you travel through Canada and see the industrialization and the modernization and the cities and the uh, the many, many uh, natural resources that they're tapped into, whether it's iron, steel, coal, oil, I mean, it, it's really incredible. That little country does a lot. And we're fortunate to have them as a sibling and as a next-door neighbor. Now, Mexico is number 15. And you would say, 
wow, I didn't know that. You mean they are in the top 20 in the world in economies? Yes, sir. Yes, sirree. Yes, sirree, they are. And their population is about 130 million. So they're a pretty good-sized country population-wise as well as land-wise. So you've got three of the largest countries land-wise, and you've got three of the top 20 economies, and you've got over 500 million people in the United States, Canada, and Mexico. And remember, the European Union is only about 600 million. So we're almost the same size as the European Union in terms of uh, people and purchasing power. Uh, and certainly we're as advanced, if not more advanced in many ways than a lot of the European Union. And that's not to say that Germany and France are not uh, advanced, but uh, there's a lot of Eastern Europe that still has a ways to go. So 500 million of us way outproduce the European Union, way outproduce. And we're certainly going to be even bigger than China, the three of us. And you say, well, why is that important? Because this new agreement says that, especially for automobiles and some other manufacturing items or manufactured items, that 70% of the manufacturing has to be done within the United States, Canada, or Mexico in order to qualify for the tariff-free movement back and forth between the three countries. Why is that important? Because it puts pressure on the Chinese and it puts pressure on our own companies and producers to utilize goods and people and products that are domestic, that are within Mexico, the United States, or Canada, that are manufactured here or hired here or our citizens of here, or our uh, landed immigrants. Uh, and so this puts pressure, and the Chinese commented on this too. They threw a little aside to the Canadians and said, well, this precludes any deal between Canada and China. Absolutely, that's the whole purpose, is to keep it in the family. That's what we're trying to do. That's not to say that we don't want to see the Chinese succeed. It's not to say that we don't want to do business with them. We do. But we want to encourage domestic industry as well. And domestic industry under this trade agreement means within all three countries. It means that all three countries will act in concert to preserve, maintain, and grow jobs within our borders. And that's a great thing. That's a great thing. So it pulls not only the United States into this stance of economic self-preservation, but it also pulls the Canadians and the Mexicans along with us. And the Canadians are happy about this, and so are the Mexicans. You know what? They're looking at this and saying, wow, this guy may not be as dumb as we thought. He is dragging them, urging them, pushing them to the table, and he got them there, and they negotiated, and they're happy. And as I said in the first half of the show, 
I've already talked with Canadians who are saying, this is a good thing for Canada. This is a good thing. This will bring down prices of some of their goods. It will increase their job market. It will encourage domestic production of goods and services in Canada, which will help their economy as well as ours. And it opens the door to more free trade between the United States, Canada, and Mexico, which is good for the Canadians because they are a big economy and they manufacture a lot of goods and services and they want to sell their stuff just like we do. And we're still their biggest trading partner. And that's fine with me. I mean, Canadians are good people, good neighbors, good siblings. And I have no problem with seeing Mexico do well as, as, as another part of this agreement. I want them to come up as quickly as possible. And an interesting part of the agreement is that it says over the next several years that they'll, there will be parity in the wages that are paid in the manufacturing industry to laborers in all three countries. So if the minimum wage in a manufacturing position here is $15 uh, and the Canadian loonie is worth 77 cents of the American dollar. The loonie is the Canadian dollar. It's named the loonie because they have a loon, which is a type of waterfowl in the duck family on their, on their dollar coin. And so they call their dollar the loonie, just like we call ours the buck. And so theirs is, uh, you know, maybe $20 an hour relative to our $15 an hour that they're going to have to pay their workers. They're probably already there. Uh, uh, but it will also force the Mexicans to pay their workers more. Now, right now, their dollar is probably 300 pesos will equal 15 U.S. dollars. So we want them to get up to that level and paying their people that. And a number of reasons. One, it will increase their standard of living. It will increase their health and welfare, their technology, their status in the world. Uh, it will also decrease the number of Mexicans who want to emigrate to the United States for better economic opportunities. Uh, we saw a lot of Indian intelligentsia, doctors and, and uh, engineers and PhDs, emigrate from the Indian subcontinent in the 1960s and 70s and 80s because the economic opportunities were better in the United States. But now that India is coming up so quickly, uh, we're seeing a decrease in the number of doctors and professional people who want to come from India to the United States. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. I don't have any problem with the Indian doctors, but India needs its doctors. They need their people. They need their intelligentsia. And the same way with the Mexicans. They need their workers. So this is a, a, a wonderful and ingenious way to help Mexico get up to the level of the United States and Canada in terms of standard of living and wages and uh, ability to take care of itself. And I'm all for it. It's a great thing. It's a great thing. So... Our three economies are going to be potent, even more potent than before. I love that. 
I love to see that we're standing up to the world, not to say, hey, you can, you know what you can do, but to say, hey, we're happy to trade with you, but let's keep it on an equal footing. Nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. Any marriage needs some equality. It's not 100%. I mean, you're not always going to win an argument in your household, and your wife or your spouse is not always going to win the argument. But you should be able to feel like you have some equality within the household. In some areas, I mean, you may be the lawn guy and your wife may be the kitchen girl, but you have equity in other parts of the house and you have to sit down and decide with each other what's important economically, what's important for the kids, what's important for free time, how do we schedule, all these things are important. And this is with any relationship, whether it's between the United States and China or the United States and the European Union, there has to be some equity in the relationship. We can't just say, okay, we'll buy everything you make so that you can get yourself up to our level and even beyond. I mean, we've lent a hand all over the world, and, and we're proud of that. That's a good thing. We like that. That's, that's our nature. And I've had people from all over the world say to me, we're just in disbelief at, at how the United States goes around helping without any real expectation of something in return. Well, we do expect something in return. We want trade. We want to expand our trade. We want to expand our uh, our philosophy and our uh, ethos and, and our our beliefs and our way of life. We want to expand and, and export that to the world along with our cars and our planes and our computers and everything else that we do and do a good job at. So we want to be on equal footing with our trading partners. Now, obviously, there are going to be times when we're not going to be able to do that. There are going to be countries that are so impoverished, that are so primitive, or that are still evolving economically, that we have to give them a break. Because we can. We can afford to give them a break. We were just in Haiti, and I just... I am in love with the Haitian clothes. Oh, my gosh. They make some wonderful clothing. Dirt cheap. I want to take a trip back down there and spend a few days in, in Port-au-Prince and do a little shopping. And I think that this is an area where we can really help the Haitians, that if we can have some preferential trade agreements with a country like Haiti and allow their goods to come in duty-free and help them elevate their standard of living, then we've done a good thing. We've done a good thing. By the way, there are a lot of uh, uh, not only religious but technical and business organizations uh, that are missionaries in Haiti that are helping the Haitians, helping them organize, helping them increase their standard of living. Uh, uh, one guy was involved with a group that had gone out into the country and had pulled together a cooperative of farmers and they're selling their goods in the Americas now at better prices and learning better manufacturing and farming practices and uh, being able to co-op so that they can save costs when it comes to 
storing grain or exporting goods or buying equipment for their farms. So these are all good things. And we, we are the ones that are leading this in Haiti in many ways. I'm sure the French are there too, but uh, we don't hear much about that. We hear about us. And remember that all of these good deeds that we do will come back to us. They will come back to us. And you can say, well, the Chinese are, you know, they're rattling their sabers and threatening us in the South China Sea and trying to take over that area and hegemony and all of this. I, I, you know, I don't see that. I, I see them doing what they've been doing for 2,000 years, nothing new, uh, trying to secure their borders, trying to secure their waterways. And of course, the world's gotten a lot smaller, so we have to go in and remind them. You, you can't control the South China Sea, and I've talked about this on the show, because the South China Sea is a major artery for shipping. And if one country has control over it, then they can start saying who can and who cannot go through the South China shipping lanes. They can uh, impose more impact fees, tariffs, uh, usage fees, and drive up the cost of goods, So, uh, as well as military uh, uh, advantages over countries in the area like the Philippines and Japan, South Korea, uh, the Southeast Asian countries, Vietnam, Cambodia, uh, Indonesia, Brunei. All these countries are right there, Malaysia. Singapore, they're all right right there. And so these countries, by the way, have been traditional enemies of China. So we don't want the Chinese to take over for a number of reasons, the South China Sea. And one of the big reasons is we don't want all the other countries in the area getting mad and saying, hey, uh, we're going to fight you on this. We don't want any fights in that area. We don't want any fights anywhere. We want everybody to be kissy-huggy and happy and live together all in peace and snugly. And, and so I think that a big first step in our hemisphere, in the Northern Hemisphere, is the three big North American countries. And by the way, Mexico is a North American country. It's not a Central American country. So don't confuse yourself within, within the boundaries of the North American continent. The big three are Mexico, the United States, and Canada. Uh, in, in terms of population, the United States is the biggest. We're number three in the world in terms of size. Canada is uh, number two in the world after Russia. And in terms of population, uh, Mexico is a big country. It's in the top 10 or 15. And it's also a big landmass. It's within the top 10 in size. So we've got a huge amount of land. And, uh, uh, you know, over a half a half a billion people here that are going to work more cooperatively than ever and going to produce more goods than ever and are going to drive the world markets in a way that we haven't seen them driven for decades. So I'm, I'm, I'm real pleased about this. It, it, it's a it's a real uh, a, a real barn burner for me. I love it. I love it. I'm going up to Canada in a few weeks. I'll bring you back a report on how they're doing up there. I'm sure that they're all going to be very happy. And this is good for us, too, in Florida and in the southern uh, sunshine states because we'll have more business from the Canadians this winter. We'll have more snowbirds coming down. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. We like that. We want everybody staying busy. We want everybody happy. We want everybody working 
And by the way, hey, Bill, did you see that unemployment is the lowest level it's been in 45 or 50 years? Unbelievable. 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 I don't know who this guy Trump is, but I like him and I want him to stay where he is. All right, Billy boy, I'm out of here. Love you guys. Thanks, Stephen. And we'll catch you guys next week. I'm Dr. Bill, your Radio MD. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.